0: once again here tonight to have with us brother and sister Woodward thank you so much for being with us we appreciate you both so well amen amen and I'm going to invite him to come and preach the word of the Lord tonight what is that an incredible message that we heard here this morning amen re-emphasized what the church is all about amen and brother Woodward we want you to come speak the word of the Lord to us once again here tonight take your liberty Praise the Lord, everybody. Isn't it a wonderful privilege to be in church? And isn't it a wonderful privilege to be in the church? Isn't that something that we get to be from all of our different backgrounds and everywhere the Lord has brought us from? How many of you, the Lord's brought you through some things? Isn't that the truth? He's so good to us. Uh, Go ahead and be seated. It is such an honor and privilege for Beverly and I to be here today. And uh, we've enjoyed uh, the day. Of course, we've gathered today for a very special reason and a very biblical one, and that's to honor the the, the leadership that God has blessed this church with. And uh, we love brother and sister Carter, and uh, we're glad that they smuggled us in, so we got to be part of this special day. I think that's really wonderful, and thanks to brother and sister Robertson for that. And. Next time I need somebody spied on or some kind of covert operation, I'll remember him and make sure that he gets called in. Uh, It's just like the CIA and I was going to say the CRA, that's probably more like it. Uh, I got more response in the preaching this morning. Brother and Sister Carter, it's a real delight to be with both of you. We love you and honor you and uh, we're so grateful that this great church uh, that you took time today to honor your pastor. And uh, by honoring your pastor, you're really blessing your church. Uh, You're really honoring the rest of your team that serve with the Carters. And so thank you for taking the time and making the time today. And your celebration this morning was so meaningful and so wonderful, and so appropriate. And I commend you for that. It is a joy to see so many uh, familiar faces. Now, I did notice that as all these wonderful, stellar young people came up around me to worship, uh, none of them were born when I left here, and that kind of made me feel really, really old. Um, but then I looked around at some of you that have gray hair and no hair, and you you reassured me that I'm still okay. And uh, Beverly and I, we had the privilege of serving this great church uh, when Brother and Sister Goddard were your pastor. And um, Precious times, and our children were just young. And uh, we were so grateful that Emily and Matthew got to be part of a great praying church uh, that preaches the truth and that loves the Word of God. And so, uh, we're so grateful just to spend some time with all of you today as you've honored your pastor. Now, I have a really weird message to preach to you, and um, but you know what? Half of my messages are really weird anyway, so. Um, you'll know why it's a little weird as we get a little further. Um, I want to preach to you on the subject, strong tower, tonight. Towers are imposing structures, and they are meant to be imposing structures. You see, if you look in the scripture, a tower indicates power. The idea is simple, really. A tower is a self-supporting structure It is always taller than it is wide, often by a significant factor. And while people may live in towers, that's never their primary purpose, towers are built to serve other functions based solely upon their height. The height of a clock tower expands the visibility of the clock. The height of a lighthouse expands the visibility of the coastline. The height of an observation tower, that enhances the visibility of the scenery and the height of a fortified tower, well that increases the visibility of the surrounding territory for defensive purposes. Even today, towers are still used to strategically strengthen prisons and military installations and to exponentially, for all of you that have one of these, uh, to exponentially increase the range of telecommunications transmitters. One of Canada's landmarks, the CN Tower in Toronto, is such a structure. However, knowing the dismal history of humanity, it is not surprising at all that men would take the power of a tower and find ways to use it for their own evil ends. And sure enough, the very first time we ever see a tower in scripture, it's called a migdal in the Hebrew tongue, a tower. The very first time we ever see a migdal or a tower Men have figured out how to use the power of a tower against God himself. Genesis 11. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The tower that they built at Babel was known as what archaeologists would call a ziggurat. Archaeologists have uncovered and excavated several of these large structures, and they were all built primarily for religious purposes. A ziggurat was like a pyramid, except they kept the levels spaced so that it made steps. You could literally walk to the top of a ziggurat on stone steps. And then at the top of every one of these structures was a religious shrine dedicated to some random god or goddess. The people weren't literally trying to build a tower to heaven. Rather, what they did was they built a tower hoping that that god or that goddess that they worshipped would come down from heaven to meet them on the top of this tower. So the structure and the city were called Babel, which means the gate of the gods. That's what they were trying to do. This project was an arrogant declaration of war against God. The people were intentionally resisting God's command to populate the whole earth. They decided, we're going to build us a great city. We're going to build us a great tower. We're going to build us a great name. We're going to stay together instead of disperse. It was their most important purpose to try to make a name for themselves so that others would admire them, that others would want to join them, that others would want to follow them. Sounds a whole lot like Facebook. They were certainly, that was a cheap shot from Fredericton, they were certainly unified. The only thing they lacked was the most important thing, the approval of God. And so God stepped in at Babel and he confounded their languages, which caused them to scatter as he originally intended. The word Babel is from the Hebrew word Balal, which means confusion. So God's judgment was that the gate of the gods that they had built would become the Tower of Confusion. And that's the first appearance of a tower in Scripture. Of course, mankind figured out a way to mess it up. But despite the debacle at Babel, for the most part, the power of a tower, it's used very positively throughout Scripture. Towers were strategic points built around city walls for defense. Towers were fortified with weapons aimed at the enemy. Towers were manned by watchmen. And the watchman's responsibility was to guard the city against attacks. Spiritually speaking, brothers and sisters, the prophets were the watchmen of the nation. And they stood on the tower in the place of power with a word from the Lord. Fast forward to New Testament times, fast forward to the 21st century, and that's what we are celebrating and honoring today, that you have a pastor who dares to stand on the tower as a watchman from the Lord with a word from the Lord and deliver his soul to you. You want to thank God every day that you have such a pastor in your life, every day. You see it everywhere in the prophets. Habakkuk said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. and I will watch to see what God will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Ezekiel said, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, God said to Ezekiel, you hear the word at my mouth and you give them warning from me. You listen for what I speak and then you speak it to my people. Isaiah God spoke to that prophet and said, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. May I just meddle for a moment. If everybody else is entitled to their opinion in 21st century Canada, if everybody else can speak up for their cause and everybody else can speak up for what they think is good and right and fair, then surely the great people of God whose lives have been changed by the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus, surely somebody can lift up their voice in our culture not to fight, not to argue, not to shame, not not to have some big conflict but just to speak up for God and say Jesus has changed my life and I'm thankful about it. That's what our pastor challenges us to do. He doesn't have to be preaching on that subject when he preaches the word of God. If you're hearing the word of God it'll set a fire in your spirit to speak up for the Lord and for his kingdom. Now towers were not just used to guard people Towers were used to guard vineyards and cattle against thieves and predators. And because God Himself declared that He was the protector of Israel, their songs in ancient Israel often compared the Lord Himself to a high tower and to a strong tower. And nobody but nobody could write those songs better than King David. Psalm 18 verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He's my God. He's my strength. In Him will I trust. He's my buckler and the horn of my salvation. Here it is. And He's my strong high tower. Psalm 144, blessed be the Lord my strength. He teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. He's my goodness and my fortress. He's my high tower and my deliverer. He's my shield and he he in whom I trust who subdueth my people under me. If you've ever lived for the Lord very long, you've had some times when you had to make your way, sometimes in a hurry, sometimes in an emergency, sometimes in a sad time, sometimes in a dreadful time. You've had to make your way to that high tower through prayer. But let me tell you, God is our refuge and strength, and He's a very present help in the time of trouble. 2 Samuel 22, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. It was a good day and David looked around and there were no enemies left standing and here's what he said. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock in Him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. Here it is again. He's my high tower and my refuge. He's my Savior God You save me from violence. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth, wherever I am and whatever I'm going through, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, somebody just lead me to that rock that is higher than I. For God, you have been a shelter for me, and you've been a strong tower from the enemy. Now, I know it's Sunday night, but I wish somebody would lift up a praise and a thanks to God and say, God, you've been my high tower my strong tower, my rock, and my refuge. You've lifted me up on high above enemies. You've lifted me high above struggles. God has seen us through. Oh my goodness. And Solomon, Solomon grew up hearing his dad sing all those great songs in the palace. No wonder Solomon would later pen these words in his collection of Proverbs. The name... The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I know for a fact I'm preaching to some people that have prayed in the name of Jesus before and you've run into the strong tower of His name and God picked you up above your circumstance and He delivered you. My goodness. i got to tell you that most of those songs that Solomon Heard his dad sing. Most of those songs weren't written by King David when he lived in the palace and he had everything going for him and he had servants on every corner in every room. They weren't written by King David. Those beautiful songs, those powerful songs of praise, they were actually written not by King David but by Kid David when he was just a boy tending sheep on the backside of Bethlehem, which was his boyhood home. It certainly wasn't a very glamorous place to grow up in. It was just a small little village in Judah. But this Bethlehem that David called home, for such a tiny little place, it really had a lot going for it. When Jacob's beloved wife Rachel died, bringing her son Benjamin into the world, Jacob buried Rachel in Bethlehem. The beautiful story of Ruth that occupies a whole book in your Bible. A Moabite girl brought into the family of Israel through her marriage to Boaz. Well, most of that book in your Bible is set in Bethlehem. And David knew the story of Ruth very well because Ruth was his great-grandmother. He knew that story. And so David he would be born in Bethlehem and he would grow up to become Israel's beloved king. And David knew the streets of that little town like the back of his hand. As a boy, he ran errands to the little market and he fetched water from the town well. And as he grew into a young man, he would tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem's fields. And he'd write his majestic psalms by its mountains and rivers and valleys. David would be anointed by the prophet Samuel and he would be crowned king of the nation of Israel. And both of those powerful moments in his life, they would happen in Bethlehem. It was in Bethlehem where David sang songs to God and strummed that harp and sang words that sometimes we still sing today. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. You, O Lord, are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We still sing some of David's words to this day. You know David because of a slingshot. You should get to know David because of a harp. I know the slingshot made him famous on that day in the valley of Elah where he fought the giant and he won, and it was amazing. But you should get to know David because of his harp. Because I've got one thing to say about that battle that made David famous. The battle between David and Goliath was not won in the valley of Elah, that's only where that battle was fought. The battle actually was won years before when that young boy strummed a harp in a field and carved out a relationship with God. The one thing that is killing us in a social media generation is everybody's life now consists of what they post online, and that becomes their face to the world. And we try to put our best face forward on social media. And and it's like our our A-roll, and we put all of our best pictures. We all know your secret. We all know it took 500 pictures to get that one photo of your kids smiling properly. We all know your secret. That's the challenge of a generation where we put a fake face forward so many times. People are looking for the big things, the flashy things. People are looking for attention, someone to call their name, exalt them to a position. David, he didn't win that battle in the Valley of Elah. He fought it there. He won it while he was strumming a harp, singing praise to God, carving out a relationship where nobody could see him and nobody knew. Can I tell you, you win some of your most important victories living for God all alone where nobody can see you, all alone where nobody can hear you, but you're talking to God all by yourself. Oh my goodness. So for such a tiny little place, Bethlehem sure had a lot going for it. You think about it. 3,000 years after David lived and died, we're still ramping up to talk about Bethlehem and sing about that little town in the next month. You think about that. 3,000 years after he lived and died. Now, here's where we're going to just kind of go off the rails, so don't get offended. Um... You know, I I tell people all the time, I'm a teacher, and in New Brunswick where I grew up, if they said, he's a teacher, what they meant years ago was, he's a really boring preacher. That's what they meant. I know that. You know that. You grew up here too. That's what they meant. And it was especially bad if they said, he's a teacher, bless his heart. It It was like the death kiss for somebody's ministry is what that was. I just tell people I'm a teacher, so if you get to... If it helps you, just say under your breath, he's a teacher, bless his heart. You'll be okay. We sometimes think, brothers and sisters, that we have accurate information about that first Christmas just because we've heard other people repeat commonly accepted information so often that it just seems right. It can be a bit disconcerting as we go into the Christmas season if you actually sit and read your Bible, there's an interesting thought, sit and read your Bible, and you find out that we actually don't have all our facts straight, not at all. For example, we picture Jesus being born in a stable with animals present. The Bible never says any of that. It only says that after his birth, he was laid in a manger. We picture shepherds and three wise men standing together at the manger. Who told you three? The Bible never says three. Furthermore, by the time the wise men arrived, the Bible actually says Jesus was two years old and he was living in a house. Now his mother, if he came in and left the door open, she may have said, were you born in a barn? I I have no idea about that. But two years later, he was living in a house. He was a, a toddler, not a baby in a manger. The wise men, it took them a long time to get there. And we picture everybody following that star to the manger, but that just didn't happen. Only the wise men followed the star, and it took them two years to follow that star to get there. The shepherds from the fields near Bethlehem, they were the only ones who came to see Jesus on the night of his birth. And those shepherds did not see a star. The Bible doesn't say that. Rather, they followed some strange instructions from an angel. By the way, you go ahead and sing it. Knock yourself out. Enjoy it. Sing it with gusto. Hark the herald angels sing. But they never sang. That's not in the Bible. They sang at creation, and they'll sing when we all get to heaven. But they didn't sing at Bethlehem. The angel said, not sang. So you go ahead and knock yourself out. If I just ruined your Christmas, pastor can straighten it out. He'll be here preaching next week. You're so blessed. And here's what the angel said, not sang. And the angel said unto them, see, I told you it was in the Bible. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born This day, if you hate Christmas, I'm sorry I ruined your Sunday night, but I love Christmas. I've been ramped up for a month. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I just got to say, lying in a manger? What kind of a sign is lying in a manger? There would have been hundreds of mangers all around Bethlehem to feed all the animals. Thousands of mangers all through Israel to feed all the animals. So a sign, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's kind of like saying you'll find the baby wrapped in a blanket in a crib in St. John. That's not helpful unless, like so many other things that we've overlooked in the Christmas narrative, those instructions were not vague at all. They were actually very, very specific. You remember, we'll read it over the next month. Remember, it was the prophet Micah who told us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, David's hometown. That was another part of its claim to fame that the Messiah was going to be born there. But when we put all the pieces together, we find that Micah was actually even more specific than singling out the town. Look at this. Micah 5 verse 2. This is the verse we always read. But thou, Bethlehem ephrata though thou be little among the thousands of Judah yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting you pardon me but I've been teaching of the gospel of John for a couple of months if that's not God manifest in flesh if that's not the mighty God in Christ if that's not the one true God that we love and serve and his name is Jesus I don't know who that would be he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but He's going to be the one whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. When you worship Jesus, you are worshiping Almighty God. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're calling every covenant name of God that's ever revealed in Scripture. Oh my goodness. Now remember, we first see Bethlehem Ephrata more than a thousand years earlier than Micah when Rachel died bringing Benjamin into the world. Genesis 35. And Rachel died. And she was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. Remember in Hebrew tower is Megdal. So this was a place literally called Megdal Adar, the tower of the flock. The tower of the flock was a watchtower, a two-story kind of building where shepherds could watch over their flocks, grazing in the surrounding countryside. Now there would have been many such structures all around Israel a two-story kind of tower. The animals would be uh, allowed to come into the bottom. Sometimes they would feed them there. They would care for them there. They would especially care for the newborn lambs there. And then the shepherds could live on the top story, safe from harm, and also they could watch over the flocks and watch over the countryside. There would have been many such structures in Israel, but this one in Bethlehem took on a special meaning because Rachel's tomb was nearby. And David, because he was a shepherd in his early years, there's no doubt at all that David would have been familiar with that one special tower called the Tower of the Flock, Magdal Adar. And as time went on, and as David made nearby Jerusalem his capital, and as his son built the temple there, that tower in Bethlehem, that one special tower, became even more significant. You see, shepherding in the Scripture was an unclean profession. And because of the unclean nature of shepherding, at the time of the Gospels, you couldn't just shepherd sheep anywhere in Israel. It was an unclean profession. So they made you care for your flock out in the wilderness, far from where anybody else lived. You couldn't shepherd sheep where people lived. You had to go out in the fields and in the wilderness. But there was one exception permitted under the law of God. Because you see, hundreds of lambs were needed as sacrifices for the temple in Jerusalem. And so they couldn't go chasing out way into the wilderness to find a lamb every time they had a temple sacrifice. So there was one exception to the rule that said shepherds had to keep their flocks at a distance. There was one exception. There was a tower in Bethlehem called Megdal Adar, the Tower of the Flock. And there they allowed the shepherds to work in the fields and the hills around Bethlehem which was just five miles from Jerusalem. Its hills and its valleys were perfect for tending and raising sheep. And so this is so important. Bethlehem became the one place, the one place in all of Israel where sacrificial lambs were raised. And on the edge of that little village called Bethlehem was Migdal Adar, the tower of the flock. And the Talmud, an ancient Jewish writing, it stated that all cattle as far as Migdal Adar were deemed to be holy. And any of that could be used for temple sacrifices. It's amazing to me how God weaves Scripture together. It was in the lower level of that tower where newborn lambs would be brought. And they would be wrapped in long strips of cloth because, you see, these lambs were to be offered at the temple and they had to be perfect and spotless and without blemish. And so they would bring them to the lower level of Megdal Adar, the tower of the flock. And in the center of that lower level was a huge stone manger. And they would lay them in that manger and they would wrap their legs with long bands of cloth because they couldn't let those lambs kick and thrash and injure themselves because then they wouldn't be fit for a sacrifice at the temple. They wouldn't be unblemished anymore. They wouldn't be undamaged anymore anymore. And so this is so important. And as you coast into Christmas and you go do all your shopping, I hope this rings in your head, the shepherds who tended those lambs were not ordinary shepherds. Bethlehem shepherds, they worked for the temple system. Bethlehem shepherds tended the only lambs in all of Israel that could actually be used as a sacrifice at the temple. And so Bethlehem shepherds, they were skilled. They were employed by the temple system. They were skilled in discerning exactly what was a perfect lamb and exactly what was an imperfect lamb. They had been mentored by their father and their grandfather and their great-grandfather. They were not ordinary shepherds. They were an integral part of the temple system because without the shepherds in Bethlehem, the temple had no sacrificial lambs to offer. Now here it is, brothers and sisters. This Bible, nothing in here is incidental or accidental. This Bible is the Word of God. God weaves it together like a beautiful tapestry. Those are the shepherds that the angel appeared to on the night that Jesus was born. The temple shepherds. The only shepherds who knew how to identify a sacrificial spotless lamb and a lamb that wasn't fit For sacrifice. Those are the shepherds that the angels appeared to. When the angel said to those shepherds in Bethlehem, and this shall be a sign unto you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Those were not vague instructions. They didn't go running aimlessly and endlessly around the village of Bethlehem. Those instructions pointed for those shepherds to one very specific location. When the angel said, you'll find this baby, it'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. They knew all about that. It'll be lying in a manger. They knew exactly where that manger was. They had worked around that manger for the generations of shepherding. It was one spot. It was the manger in the lower level of the tower called Megdal Adar on the edge of Bethlehem. And it was in that tower you got to hear this. And in that tower alone where sacrificial lambs were born and wrapped in swaddling bands of cloth and inspected for perfection by those very same shepherds. So when the angel appeared and said, this is the sign, they knew exactly where to go. They didn't waste one second. They went right back to the place where they had worked and their father had worked and their grandfather had worked. These were the temple shepherds if you could imagine this that band of shepherds outside of Bethlehem had trained all of their lives for this very moment you see the prophet Micah he didn't just identify a town that's Micah 5 and 2 we'll read it every Christmas it'll be read in some kind of program somewhere in this church somewhere in our church but Micah didn't only write 5 and 2. If you back up a few verses he wrote this in chapter 4. And thou O tower of the flock the stronghold of the daughter of Zion unto thee shall it come even the first dominion the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem now why dost thou cry aloud is there no king in thee is thy counselor perished for pains have taken thee as a woman in travail. When Micah wrote those words and when the angel said those words, Luke's original audience would have immediately picked up on the significance of an angel appearing to shepherds in Bethlehem. The whole country knew that when you said Bethlehem, you were saying sacrificial lambs. And they would have immediately recognized the significance of Jesus being laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling bands of cloth. No doubt many of them actually remembered Micah's prophecy that the Messiah, the first dominion, the kingdom would be revealed at Magdal Adar, at the tower of the flock. And now it all made sense. How else could a woman in travail, crying aloud with the pains of labor. How could a woman like that ever be associated with this tower where the men worked, where the temple shepherds were occupied? But it was in that very tower. The Bible never says it was a stable. The Bible never says there was an innkeeper and all of that business. That's tradition. It was in that very tower on the outskirts of Bethlehem that Christmas evening that a virgin girl named Mary would bring forth the spotless, sinless lamb who would be wrapped in swaddling bands, laid in the manger where every sacrificial lamb for hundreds of years had been laid in Magdaladar, And he would be the one who would be sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. I don't know if that means anything to you when I look at that Bible and I think about the plan of God and I think I get to be part of that. I am overwhelmed with the magnificence of God and I feel like that old song then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Oh my goodness. We sing it every once in a while at Christmas. It's one of my favorite songs. It's one of those old oneness songs. Oh, how I love Him. How I adore Him. My breath, my sunshine, my all and all. The great Creator became my Savior. And all God's fullness dwelleth in Him. Oh my. I, I, I need a break. Lift up your hands and your voice. I just got to worship him for a minute. He's so good. He's so awesome. His plan is magnificent. His word is miraculous. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, there's some tongue-talking apostolic Pentecostals in this room. I wish you'd lift up your voice and just pray in the Spirit, worship in the Spirit. There's a beautiful liberty in the house of the Lord tonight. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Whew. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. who? When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. I'm sorry. So Reba letta Saba. So Reba Borota Labacoreba. So Terriba. How amazing He is. How miraculous this Word is. Could we just do this in unity, and I'll try to carry on and finish up. Would you lift your hands like a big choir of uplifted hands? Every room, every uh, aisle in this room, every row in this room, would you lift up your hands, and would you just give Him praise? He's worthy of your praise. This is the greatest thing on this planet the church of the living God, purchased with his own blood. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We will celebrate it in less than a month. On that night, now I don't know when Christmas was and you don't either, but we'll pick a night and we'll celebrate because we should celebrate that God broke into human history and He split time in half because everything before Bethlehem was dark and hopeless. But the light of the world came that night and He has invaded our space and our lives and He makes all the difference. Those shepherds, those Bethlehem shepherds, those temple shepherds, they knew exactly where to go on that first night because this is so amazing. The prophet Micah hadn't just specified the town Jesus would be born in. This is the power of the Word of God. He specified the exact spot that Jesus would be born in. It's miraculous. Luke 2, and they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They knew exactly where to go. They didn't waste a second. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. If anybody realized the significance of the unusual birth of that baby on that night in that spot, it was those temple shepherds that had carefully examined thousands of sacrificial lambs and said, this one's perfect. Wrap its legs in swaddling bands so it can't injure itself and we'll take it to the temple as a sacrifice. If anybody would have recognized the significance of a little baby, God robed in flesh with chubby little fists, all wrapped up in swaddling bands because that's all Mary could lay her hand on when Jesus was born in that tower of the flock. If anybody would have realized that it was them And that's why you see things like this in the New Testament. John chapter 1. The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming unto him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now I thank God that Jesus took away the sin of the world but I'm more thankful specifically that He took away my sin. That His blood cleansed my life. That His blood forgave me. That His blood turned me around. First Peter, the day of Pentecost preacher, he became quite a theologian. He said, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation. This that you are in, brothers and sisters, it was not received by tradition from your fathers. This isn't some religion you're part of, but this church was purchased with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Micah, he wrote in chapter 4, Is there no king in thee, Bethlehem? Is thy counselor perished, tower of the flock? But ever since that miraculous night, we now have a king, and we now have a counselor, and he's much more than that, because 600 years before that night, Isaiah wrote these words, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And when you go to worship Jesus, keep this in mind his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, which to me, he's got the whole resume right there. Whatever you need, it's in the name of Jesus. Whatever you need, it's in the name that you worship. Oh, my goodness. I am sorry I'm overcome. I am so taken with this Jesus and I am so taken with his magnificent word and I am so awed that I get to be part of his church. What a privilege this is. Almost done. Matthew chapter 1. Another angel said, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he Shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they will call his name Ooh. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Can you imagine that? God. With us, your life may not be perfect, but you've got a treasure that few people in this city have God with us. You may have struggles and trials and perplexing things that confound your mind from time to time, but you've got something powerful in your life God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. So, here's my point before we come and pray. I hope you'll join us tonight. There's something so special in this service. Here's my point. If God could orchestrate hundreds of years of prophecies, if God could arrange those hundreds of years of prophecies to converge on one specific spot, on one specific night, on the night of Jesus' birth, then you know if God could take hold of hundreds of the streams of prophecy and force them all to converge, not only on one night, not only in one village, but on one spot, then you got to know that God's able to find you wherever you are. He's able to deliver you from whatever you're going through. He's able to save you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you are right now. God, who can do that, He can meet you. God, who can converge prophecy on one spot on one night, can converge His power in your home, in your marriage, in your life, in your heart. Oh, I wish you'd just worship him for a second. I got one last scripture and I'm done. I wish you'd lift up your voice like a trumpet. That's what the Bible says. Lift up your voice in the sanctuary. Oh my goodness, who Soto sabaha. Mm-hmm. Allelu- wow. mm-hmm. Allelu- yes, a tower Gerade indicates power. And yes, Bethlehem, you want to know it had a strong tower, the tower of the flock. But I got one better than that. He heard it so much from his dad walking around the halls and the rooms of the palace that Solomon would write, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And so the righteous, you can run into it and you can be safe. If you turn to him, you get the benefit of the power of that tower. The name of Jesus is my strong tower. He has delivered me. He has saved me. He has forgiven me. He has restored me so many times. He has lifted me up above struggles and trials. He has been so good and so faithful to me. I stand here and I tell you tonight the name of the Lord is my strong tower. You look around this church with a 60 plus year history the name of the Lord is the strong tower of this church. You look around this city and every spot you see a little flame of revival and people bring bought into the kingdom of God you want to know that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous can run into it and be safe so if I was you I'd run for the tower if I was you I'd get myself and everybody I loved in that tower and I wouldn't leave it not for the world not for a trillion dollars I wouldn't leave that tower because the name of the Lord is a strong tower Oh my goodness. Preachers aren't supposed to get up and just cry, but I am overwhelmed with the goodness of God. All my life, He has been faithful. All my life, He has been so, so good. So, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Would you rise to your feet like a standing ovation? Would you let your hands continue? And then would you let your voice rise higher than everything else? And literally just fill this sanctuary with praise to God. Just saturate this sanctuary with your worship. I assure you He's worthy of everything you can give Him. I assure you He's greater than what you've ever imagined.